Welcome to Different From The Other Kids, a weekly talk show for parents with challenging children with host Angela Sunis, a parent whose teen was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Each episode, Angela will have a discussion with an individual or professional within the mental health community. Different From The Other Kids, Season 1, a production of Marketing Maven. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Different From The Other Kids. I am very happy today to be joined by a male voice, which is probably the first one that we've had. And uh, this gentleman's name is Ian. Welcome, Ian, to the show. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Ian's daughter has um, struggled with some uh, mental illness issues and has uh, different kinds of episodes uh, to the extent that they have reached out many times to a lot of different segments of uh, the mental illness community and looking for some help and unfortunately have received very little. This is a story that is told over and over again. Um, I know the last interview, one of the things that we had brought up was the young man that had been on a plane in Toronto Pearson, which would have been um, a very short period of time in, uh, in our history here just about a week ago. Um, And it took uh, NORAD, and two fighter jets and a SWAT team uh, to bring in a plane of 183 people um, so that this gentleman uh, could be uh, taken in. And his father was thrilled as a parent. I can't even imagine. Well, I can. uh, Being thrilled that the son had been incarcerated. He was out on a $1,000 bail and so was able to go to a a local hospital for a 72-hour hold. And everyone was all happy because now he's going to get some treatment. They had been to the hospital 23 times looking for help for this young man. The parents are very well aware that he has a mental illness and have been uh, turned down in way too many cases that I can tell. Uh, I can't imagine going through that, having been thrilled with one of my children being incarcerated so that they could get help. So I'm here talking to Ian. Um, That certainly has not happened in his case but is uh, a very familiar story for a lot of parents that they wander around trying very, very hard to get some help for a child that is uh, presenting with uh, some real challenges and they're not being helped. So, uh, Ian, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, give me a start here. Uh, Julie was an interview that we had uh, not long ago, and um, that's... uh, Ian's wife, and uh, she was great at telling me a little bit about the story, but I always find it's helpful when it is that we get both sides of the story. Sometimes you remember other things that she may not. If you could just give me a kind of a general from when it was that you realized that there was a bit of a problem uh, up until kind of recent time, just as, just as a general. <clears throat> okay. When, when Sophie was two, that uh, Julie really realized, and Julie was kind of a stay-at-home mom at the time, working from home, and was first-hand with all of this, uh, she had seen something a little bit odd in her. And um, I don't know if she, she described the moment, but one day Julie was doing Sophie's hair and had her looking beautiful and said, wow, you just look terrific. And Sophie looked at her, had a little scowl on her face, and messed up her hair completely. And that was one of the first signs, I think, that we thought something was definitely off here. So it has progressed from there. We had been to doctors. We've been to psychiatrists, psychologists. She's had brain scans, just trying to pinpoint what the challenge might be. Um, And it's been a frustrating road, to be honest with you. The biggest challenge I'm finding 
is with the system is um getting the help that you need as angie described about this gentleman on the the flight to panama that it took 24 visits to the hospital or 23 visits to the hospital and and finally this guy gets help because he threatens to take down a plane the system is, is fractured in that manner and and that's been the most frustrating part for me like we've been to the hospital to er twice uh both times they didn't admit her understandably so because uh, sophie manages to bring it down to a certain level and and presents herself very well in front of the professionals so i can see why they would send us home but they're not living in the home they're not seeing what we're going through they don't see the knife come out of the drawer and threatening to kill us and then kill herself and um i i don't think there's enough resources or nearly enough resources spent on this kind of thing and you know you read the stats one in five kids now suffer from some sort of mental illness Mm -hmm. we're experiencing that firsthand and it's not fun there has to be more attention given to this I would love to get to a two-tiered healthcare system. Um, Yeah we we talked about that very briefly um, not long ago and I was uh, curious to find out I know what I would kind of like to see but I've got a feeling you've thought it through uh, probably further if only from a business perspective, Ian is an entrepreneur, and I, I'd love to hear what it is that you, what would you like to see from a second-tiered health system in Canada if we could get it? Just the option for people that have the ability to buy up. So if I want to go to a private psychiatrist, we should have that option. And ultimately, that helps everybody in the system, because if I can buy up, it frees up the queue below me for other people that can't afford to buy up. So it benefits everybody in the entire system. It frees up resources. Mm-hmm. Why we continue to roadblock these things is beyond me. Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a I'm better than you system. It's just I have the ability to help free up the system and I will pay for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with that. Well, it's you know very very poignantly when it was that you went into a merge not long ago and begged for her to stay and and Sophie was ready to stay in that particular time she was unstable enough that she realized it and everyone was ready for her to stay and you begged and then Julie had a breakdown because they basically said I'm sorry she doesn't hit criteria what what else is it that you would like to see I know I would love to see that as well well at at that moment in time it, it was ridiculous to us because as you said Sophie was ready to stay um, Julie was very emotional at the time because we felt we had finally reached a threshold or a breakthrough that we were going to get the help that we needed. How many days was it that she was really unstable, you think, at that time that you had endured? And what other services did you go through before you got to that point? It's end of July now, I would say since middle of March. Okay, and wow. I, it was daily. It was constant. I what hated, did a day look like? I hated coming home. I would rather be at work. I hated the weekends. It was going to be horror. She had, didn't have any friends. Um, we were going to be the entertainment, and it, it, it was just awful. It, stuff is getting thrown, vacuums getting thrown downstairs, drinks getting thrown in your face, knives being pulled out of drawers. It was, uh, it wasn't fun. It hasn't been fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm trying to think of other second-tiered systems that we would be able to buy into. Like, how about this? Um, you're now you have her which is very exciting to me to see that she actually uh, went to a camp. Now, this camp is being attended by, apparently, there's uh, quite a few children from all over the United States. Uh, There's one from Israel, one from Norway. Um, It would be nice if we had this within the medical community instead of having, imagine, I don't know how much it is, and I won't ask you, but the amount of money that it would cost to go to a camp, and you can tell me if you want Mm -hmm. to, how, how much it is to go 
and how many children really should be going and are not in uh, financial ability to be able to do it. Well, this three-week program we have run, and I don't mind telling you about it, um, is it costs about $5,000. We, When we were there, um, we were at the medical building because you want to check in and make sure they, everybody has their meds and so on lined up for the three weeks. We met a woman in front of us who was from Washington, D.C., and she had done a lot of research and found that this camp was fantastic and, and you know all the reviews were great. But agree, this this is the kind of thing that especially in our system. If we're paying into a publicly funded system, this is the kind that should be the kind of thing that should be available to everybody, mm-hmm. not just people that can afford to pay that. Mm-hmm. I'd also love to see myself during periods of time when my daughter was having an episode, I'm on my own uh, at the time, uh, a single parent environment, and I had nowhere to put her. And it's the same thing that you guys have endured at different times of can I? Is there not somewhere that I can send this child for respite care so that I don't have my own nervous breakdown? Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys have you ever run across anything that you could do for a weekend, for an evening? I know Julie and I had spoken at one time about, you know, could you grab uh, one of the university students that requires so many community service hours, anything like that? Did you ever try anything like that, or have you ever heard of a system or a, some kind of a association that would do anything like that? We haven't actually, and we really we've relied on family for the most part for our support. And we, lucky for us, we've had a great family, and uh, they've been very supportive. Again, so Sophie has uh, burned a lot of those bridges now. So some of the resources that we had, being family members, are, are now no longer available to us. Uh, but no, we haven't looked into any associations that the, the medical students. But we are going through the the waiting list right now of uh, the Hamilton through Mac and Shadok. That is one of the premier hospitals in this area. Now, I know that you've had a lot of frustration in trying to get her anywhere, but also frustration within this particular, because they have their own adolescent psychiatric facility or unit, do they not? So tell us a little bit about how frustrating it has been to uh, deal even with those guys who are, it's what happens in Ontario. I've had conversations with Julie of, okay, take her into Toronto into one of the there's an actual mental health hospital there and I don't know what would happen if you went to sick kids or if you went to uh, Canadian mental health services but I don't I think you might get help that night but other than that I don't know whether they would keep her and I don't think that they would be able to refer services and that's why it is that everybody wants everybody in a catchment area in their jurisdiction if you will and I think only having one place to go makes it really difficult as well and if it is that we're all paying into the same system it does become very frustrating as well because there are certain hospitals that kind of specialize in certain things uh there are some that are better uh, equipped to deal with um bipolar there are some that may be more uh involved in you know either a personality disorder or a mood disorder and only having one particular place to go to must be very frustrating when you're not getting anywhere with it. And that's very well said. And, and actually, the program we're talking about here in uh, Hamilton is Contact Hamilton. So we've been on a waiting list. We had an intake interview with these people, and they said right away that based on what we've told them, you're looking at probably eight months. And eight months. We were in crisis moment at, at that time. It was crazy. And to say you're going to have to wait another eight months just seem ridiculous to us. So to, further to your point, yeah, if there are other services available at Sunnybrook or where have you mm-hmm. in the GTA, why can't we go there? We're all paying into the healthcare system for Ontario. 
But no, we're in that catchment and we fall under Hamilton and this is where we have to go. So we've patiently waited and we've done our thing here and we are still in line, hopefully about a month or two away. We did finally get through to somebody mm-hmm. and, and we had a nurse come in that prescribed some new meds. So I'm not sure that Julie went through all the whole... She did. She went through and she we did. took her off the meds and we wanted to strip her down to see who we were really dealing with, which I'm, you know, I'm still happy we did that. Mm-hmm. As tough as it was for us... Um, it proved the point to me that we really do need to have our medication. Uh, I wasn't a big believer in the, in the meds, but after taking her off, stripping her down, and seeing who we were dealing with, yes, the medication has definitely helped. So we are finally making some progress through uh, contact Hamilton, but it has been a painstakingly long process. Mm-hmm. And again, back to the guy on the plane, 23 visits to the hospital, the system is flawed. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so when I call them episodes, just because that's the language that it is that I have come to understand that happens, can you take us through what an episode looks like? Do you see her gone in her eyes when she's in an episode? Are you able to reason with her? What techniques is it that you try and use to to keep her calm and stable and not escalate the situation? You know, I really don't see it in her eyes. She's... She just becomes very, very angry, and it can be the smallest thing that sets her off. And we've talked about this, or people will always say, well, what was the trigger? What what set her off on that particular tangent? That's interesting to me. She really doesn't have any. She doesn't have one that would make sense to me. We had uh, the most recent one that uh, is burned in my brain because it was somewhat violent. Julie and I were sitting out back. Sophie was being very belligerent to us and rude and mean and wanted... Julie to come in and say goodnight to her. Well, no, I'm not going to come and say goodnight to you. You've been rude and mean and just go to bed and we'll take it up again in the morning. She came downstairs. We were sitting out back, started kicking the glass door, the sliding door, kicking it to the point that we thought it was going to break. Locked us out of the house at the same time. So we got up and walked around the side of the house. She couldn't see us. She had lost sight of us. So that gave her a little more anxiety. Mm -hmm. So we got to the side of the house where we have a side door and she opened that door. Of course, we came bursting in to get in, got the keys. We went back outside and and set out in the backyard. But as Julie went out back, I came through the kitchen, and Sophie was standing there and said, I'm going to kill the three of you, meaning the two of us and our dog. And she pulled a a large bread knife out of the drawer, held it up at me and said, yeah, this will do. Just so mean. And and meant it, it seemed. Mm -hmm. I completely uh, tried to... You know, bring things down by saying I'm gonna. I'm calling 911. These are the only options I have available to me. That's what I'm gonna do, and that brought her back down. So it's it's through the it's, it's the threat of having somebody intervene that might be able to do something. Yes. So, okay, I don't I don't get this. And without naming names, so you go back to the psychiatrist at this point, and you say this and this and this happened. To me, I would think that something might actually get done. So what happens when you go back? Because you've gone back a few times in the last so many months. What happens? You go back to the psychiatrist and say this, and what happens? What what goes on? It's so hard to explain. We, because she does put on such a brave face in front of the professionals and seems quite fine. But I explained that to the psychiatrist when we were back in there after we were going to make a 911 call because of further threats to our life. And, and Sophie agreed to come with us in the car, and we took her to emerge. We explained it to the psychiatrist on call at the time, the knife story, and it just didn't seem to go anywhere. Okay, but you're under the care of another psychiatrist who's prescribing, right? 
We were. Okay, so what happens when you go there? That's another story altogether. <laughs> without we, naming names. Yes, okay, without naming on? names. Uh, we were dealing with a, a port credit psychiatrist, <laughs> and there are many, and she, she was referred to us through a pediatrician in Burlington. So we thought, great, finally, we had some breakthrough. This was a couple of years ago, and she did prescribe uh, Abilify and Prozac and and another med. Julie knows all that better than I do. But we got to this point. We wanted to take Sophie off the medication, and um, the doctor wasn't necessarily agreeing with us, but didn't really urge us one way or the other not to. If she would have said at the time not to do it, I would have agreed. But we had it kind of in our minds that let's strip her down and see where we are and what we're dealing with. So because she didn't say no, it was a terrible idea. We said, okay, well, we're going to go ahead with it. How should we do it? How should we wean her, wean her off? She told us how to do it, which apparently was far too quickly, according to research that we've done since then. Okay. We took her off the Abilify very quickly, which was not a good thing. So um, finally, we felt like, oh, we better get her back on the meds. We reached out to this psychiatrist in uh, Port Credit. And she threw her hands up and said, basically, I'm done with you guys. I How suggest... Do I don't well, even know she if said, I, allowed to do that. She, she's somewhat private. She's not affiliated with any hospital. So she said, I suggest you reach out to local services. I'm no longer able to help you. She just left us like So how that. long were you with her? Two years. And every time you had a problem, you would go and say this and this and this. Did she ever suggest... One thing I was very, very lucky to have, and and this is a whole other story uh, that you haven't heard from me, I actually was able uh, to see a child psychiatrist that worked with me as a coach. And I don't know, I don't get it how it is that a psychiatrist would go ahead and prescribe medication and deal with the child and then not say, okay, well, perhaps it is that you need, we all need to sit down and learn how to parent this child to work around what it is that she's the behaviors that she's displaying so within two years did you ever you had some coaching or did you have something you know and i I, we should take some fault or responsibility for that because we had her with the psychiatrist we were using the psychiatrist because she had the ability to prescribe meds and we felt that was going to be beneficial but when it came to the therapy point of view she was terrible okay how about a psychologist did you we did have a psychologist we have a fantastic psychologist she is the best and she seems to get through to sophie and and help but it's again it's all in that moment once we walk out that door Sophia's forgotten everything that they really talked about but that was definitely the downfall of the psychiatrist is she could not get through and we didn't you know really pursue it we walked away from that and said okay we'll use you for the medication and the prescribing Mm -hmm. so she really didn't know who she was prescribing to we would give behaviors and she would prescribe which is wrong in itself Mm -hmm. right she Mm -hmm. should have demanded to see more of Sophie rather than what she did. Well, yeah, good God. Okay, well, that's a charming story already, Anne. Thank you. Okay, what is it that you would like, if anybody's listening here that is in that industry, I know that you have some pretty strong opinions about that you'd like to see it differently. What is it that you'd like to say that I haven't asked the right question to? I think you've asked all the right questions. Again, I go back to the expansion of the system allowing some sort of privatization where we can pay up as it would Mm -hmm. be so to give 
us the option to get help and then free up the queue below us for other people to get the resources that are through the province. Mm -hmm. To me, that is the biggest fault of this. You know, my stepfather went through cancer treatment, and I got to say the healthcare system was fantastic. It was unbelievable. He had great care. Why don't we have that mm -hmm. on the mental health side? Mm -hmm. It is as big, in my mind, an issue as cancer is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, we, I walked through him very closely when he went through his, his cancer treatments and diagnosis. And I was very, very impressed at Princess Margaret, at uh, Trillium. It was fantastic service. And I expected the same as we went through this with Sophie. And certainly was shocked to see that it's nowhere near the same. Mm -hmm. You know, again, we're eight months out waiting for some help, being threatened constantly, being sent away, you know, again, back to the guy in the plane. Mm -hmm. You know, 23 visits, you finally get some help. What's it going to take? Yeah. It shouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. You're diagnosed with cancer, you're in for treatment quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a very serious issue that needs mm -hmm. to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just... Uh, to give us some kind of perspective, um, you dropped uh, Sophie off at camp yesterday and you had a conversation with somebody from the United States. I'm very curious how they deal with it. It seems to be quite different. And this was the same lady that you were speaking to from Washington, D.C. And her reason for coming to the camp was interesting to me. If you can just give us a, a little synopsis of how that went down when you guys had the conversation. Well, she just had done a lot of research and felt that you know, the camps that were available to her down in, in the U.S. and in her area were not tailored for this type of behavior, for special needs children. And she had met the owner, Dave, at, at some conference down there and was very impressed by him, read all the reviews and, and felt that this was going to be best for her daughter. I think she was very impressed when she got up there. And it talks to, to the success of the camp by the people that are coming from all over the world. Mm -hmm. you, know. um, you had mentioned earlier something about that she was tired of spending $10,000 at a time for services that weren't exactly meeting the needs of the child? Yeah, similar to our system, but they Except have the they... ability to go out and get private health care and, and buy a, you know, an opinion by a psychiatrist. She was, I think she seemed more uh, anti-meds to me, mm -hmm. which is fine. Mm -hmm. uh, and she felt, she had made one comment that, you know, we were tired of spending $10,000 to talk to a psychiatrist to tell her what next pill to go on. Mm -hmm. But again, was it the psychiatrist? Was it the system? Mm -hmm. um, were you talking to the right people? That's, unfortunately, that's what psychiatrists do. They just prescribe meds. Especially in, in Canada, they're, they're pharmacological consultants. <laughs> they really are. More than they are actually shrinks, as it is that we have come to. Which you need to be both. Mm -hmm. uh, we need need to find that that balance between both because you can teach these kids and, and people in general that are suffering from mental illness how to cope, coping strategies, how to deal with those thoughts and so on. And at the same time, it can be complemented by medication. But ultimately, again, we we were I was certainly anti-medication. I wanted to see it come down and see where we were, and we were dealing with a totally different person when we came off it. It was even scarier than I anticipated. Now, we have talked about strategies. I know you guys have tried everything, but if I went through a little litany of, or a little test here, a little list of stuff, could you tell me if there was one that works or one that doesn't work to calm her down other than the threat of authority, which is the, which is which it seems to be the biggest one, right? As soon as you said you called the police, she would calm down. Yeah. Or if you said, what else? If you were taking to the hospital, she'd usually calm down? Yeah. Okay, what else would work? Uh, the biggest Nothing. thing, authority and, and public humiliation. Oh, see. Bringing in somebody from the outside. Uh, we had an issue recently. We took her up for horseback riding. 
and wasn't in a good place, was very unhappy, wasn't going to get out of the car. That was not an option. We were all in a bad place. Time for you to go. We're here. So I just rolled down the windows. There was a kid coming by that is part of the uh, the family that runs the, the horseback riding farm. And as soon as I did that, she got out of the car because she puts on this, again, very stoic, uh, brave face, doesn't want to be um, embarrassed publicly. That works mm-hmm. always. So there's so with Sophie, there's a lot of control. Very much so, and that's that's part of the the challenge in understanding exactly what we're dealing with. They can control how manic at different times they can be, but generally, when they're psychotic, they're just gone. But I've not heard from the stories that I have heard. I haven't heard this child do that. So I'd imagine that this particular diagnosis is going to be difficult. It's very difficult because of uh, her age. Very difficult because she's female. And as I understand it, and I'm sorry to tell you this, it's about 24 when young women calm down enough that they become, yeah, really stable. Great, 10 more years. (laughs) Yes, sorry about that. (laughs) And something else that can happen too, and I think that this speaks to perhaps what happened when it was that she was stable for a while, is depending on chemically and hormonally where they are, what it is that they're doing to cope through medication, through nutrition, through whatever it is that they're doing, can actually just stop working if it is that things change in their bodies. Couldn't agree with that more. The the Abilify seemed to be the magic drug for a long period of time. We had some, we had highs and and lows and challenges, but it was manageable. Mm -hmm. Then in March, and again, she's 13 and going through puberty and things are changing, things just went completely off the rails as Mm -hmm. if the Abilify was no longer effective. And again, that's one of the reasons we said take her off the drugs Mm -hmm. completely because they weren't helping. Maybe it was, as you've just said, she's outgrown that medication. Mm. Time to try something different. And apparently that can happen as well. You know, somebody can be very stable for 30 years, I've heard. And then all of a sudden something goes off and they go off onto a an episode of some kind. It's surprising you say that. Uh, mm-hmm. My aunt. Yes. Which we, we, you know, we always look at my side of the family because well, there's definitely a history there. <laughs> there's usually history on both sides. Some of them are more prevalent. Um, but there is a genetic component that goes along with this stuff. So, yeah, sorry. I will take responsibility for, <laughs> I will for a big part of this. It's Me definitely too. on our side of the family. But uh, as you said, my aunt was on, was spiraling out of control after she had her, her uh, first and only child. Well, that's another story entirely. Well, it, Pregnancy. It, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, everything that goes along with that. So they, yes. they finally stabilized her. She was suicidal. She was terrible. She would go to the liquor store, buy a bottle of vodka, just sit in the parking lot and down it. She was awful. So they medicated her, stabilized her, and as you said, for about 30 years, I think it was. She was fine. Mm-hmm. And then I guess she got menopausal mm-hmm. to that or stage. Or perio, menopausal, yeah, Exactly, yep. st- that stage of her life. And again, went off the rails. Mm-hmm. And now she's fine, functioning, but again, medicated. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. Okay, one of the things that I had just uh, kind of dropped in Ian's lap, and he's thrilled with me for it, I'm sure, is we were talking about um, the jobless rate for those that are mentally ill. And apparently, according to, you know, this is in the U.S., but it shocked me to death. Now, I can see exactly what happens with the mentally ill at different times now. My daughter's 20, 20 and a half. And, yeah, it's, for my daughter at least, uh, we go through periods of time of stability And then all of a sudden there's an episode. She loses her job. She loses her boyfriend. Uh, She spends all her money. She drinks too much. And then all of a sudden she's she's on the couch for periods of time. What seems to happen is, too, that then she gets that self-loathing thing and then she ends up not having the confidence to do very much. And it's 
really awful to watch. But there is a jobless rate, apparently, in the U.S., at least according to USA Today, of, where is it here? It was ridiculous. It's 80%. 80% are jobless. Now, that's absolutely terrible. I'd love to know what's happening in Canada. But I will tell you, there are not going to be a lot of programs. I just want to say thanks so much to Ian. I really appreciate your candor. Uh, I think it's it's brave for parents to come forward and um, share their stories. There's a lot of people out there with absolutely no support, a lot of people with nobody to talk to, and a lot of uh, single parents out there that probably don't have the resources to get help. They don't have the time to go get it. And uh, they certainly um, could use a, a bit of a friendly ear here. So thanks very much, you guys. Uh, thanks very much, Ian. Go ahead. Thank you uh, for having me, Ange. Uh, I think what you're doing here is a fantastic thing to get the message out to people. They're not alone, and you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And please, review our podcast on iTunes. This will help us spread our message and reach all those who need some support. Don't forget to follow Different From The Other Kids on Facebook and Twitter. We have a book on Amazon of all of these interviews. Thanks for all your support. We'll see you next week. And now a disclaimer. In general, I, Angela Sunis, am not a doctor, and I certainly don't play one on the internet. I am not even that well educated. I'm a parent, period. The advice from me presented on Different From The Other Kids does not replace advice received directly from a medical health professional. If you think you need help, I do recommend making an appointment with your physician or other appropriate healthcare provider. Thanks for listening to Different from the Other Kids, made possible with the support of Raven 5. We are Contest Marketing. You can find them online at www.raven5.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Different from the other kids. Season 1. A production of Marketing Maven.